Welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson. Welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast. Jeff Henderson here with you, along with Kevin Jennings and David Farmer. And first of all, we hope you're doing great today. Thanks so much for being a part of the journey and the podcast community. We're very, very grateful. And today we're hoping that our time together with you is very, very helpful because we're talking about positioning yourself for success at work. And I just want to let you know, despite the challenges of what we're experiencing in today's world, this is still a possibility that you can still position yourself for success at work. And the fact that you're listening to the Executive Minds podcast is an example, I think, that you're somebody that believes in this. So we're going to walk through six keys that can help you, even in a challenging season like this, to position yourself for success at work. So Kevin, David, thanks for being with us. And Kev, let me just start with you. First, how do you, how do you, in your perspective, what's the first thing that you can do to position yourself for success, especially in challenging days like these? Yeah. So um, first of all, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, as always, gentlemen. You know, I think the first thing that I thought of, and I actually spoke a little bit about this earlier this week with a group of amazing women in leadership who are trying to think about how they position themselves for success in this moment in time. And I think the key thing is determining your direction. I think I've met a lot of amazing young professionals, myself included. I think I struggled with this the last decade, uh, the 2010 to 2020 period. I let, I had a vision for my life long-term. It was not documented. Let that be the first thing to say. It was not documented. And two, I still kind of let work lead that for me. Hey, I want to be successful. I'm going to level up my skills and I'm going to show up at work and let them, you know, lead me. Well, I was blessed to work with organizations that actually had a mission. So I didn't end up doing things I would regret at my job, but that's not your employer's responsibility. You have to set your own direction. In fact, there's a really great book out, really popular right now called The Motive by Pat Lencioni, right? Why do you want to grow? Why do you want to be a leader? Why do you want to quote unquote, climb the ladder? What is, what do you want from this on a personal level? It's not to be selfish once again, but you have to have your own North Star for you. Uh, and I think that if you can determine your own direction, you have a filtration system for the rest of everything else. You can do all the other things we talk about, but if you don't know where you want to go with your own life, you're in trouble, And in, in my opinion. So start with determining your direction um, because that gives you a, a litmus for everything else uh, going forward for that. And I think also, Kevin, you know, you can go in a direction and then discover, oh, I may need to take a right and go in a different direction. But Sometimes we get paralyzed, especially in challenging and difficult days. If we don't determine our direction, then we're just paralyzed and we get stuck. And uh, so once you determine your direction, David, let's talk about what you can do yeah. next. Well, um, hello, guys, as well. And I, I want to say props to Kevin. Kevin came up with this title. And one of the things I like about it, it doesn't say how to magically just make success happen instantaneously. Yeah, you, you don't get to just press a button, the easy button, and it, it, there it is. I like the idea that you position yourself for success, and it implies there is a bit of a process to it. And if you're, if, if it's going to really be meaningful, you'll have to work towards it. But you can do that even when things aren't going the way you'd like for them to go. And so the step that I would like to add is up your value creation. And I often think of a simple mathematical equation. What is value? And I like to think of value as what you get for what you pay. So if you remember your math, numerators, the thing above the, the line, denominators below the line, what are you contributing 
to your organization, to your team. That's the numerator. And and what do you get for that? How much you paid for that? So if you want to thrive, be somebody that creates a ton of value. There's not necessarily one way to do that. You have to figure out based on your gifting, your strength set, your passion, how you might create value. But I'll throw out some examples. You might bring really deep subject matter expertise to the table. You may know more about something that matters than anybody else, and the team needs you to be kind of a guide in that respect. Maybe the way you add value is you have this incredible knack for getting things done. You're just like a project ninja. You know how to organize projects. You know how to uh, move them forward and ultimately get them across the finish line. And uh, that's a huge benefit to the organization. Maybe you're just really good at influencing others. And so you can help lead teams or help an organization shape vision and strategy. There, there are other ways too, but I would challenge you think, what is it that I'm particularly good at and how can I add value? Sometimes it's, you're just, it may not be you're, uh, you're not the leader, but you're an incredible support person. And for the leader to do their thing, they need somebody like you to partner up with. So if you figure out how you create value and you focus on that, I, I think that's going to fundamentally set you up for success at work. You know, one thing to add there, I want to love about that really also and kind of ties in what Jeff said a moment ago about taking, you know, that the direction doesn't mean you have a instruction manual for your life. Uh, it doesn't mean, you know, step one through, you know, step one through 25, but there are guideposts that connect to how you create value, right? Some of that might be innate to, to David's point, and that might connect to your own passion and things you want to do to do with your life. And I think it's really, really important to bring it to the top. So I want to make sure remember, remind people when it comes to direction, consider like a personal mission statement or a, a values a vision statement for your life, or even a life plan that might be enough to set up the guardrails uh, for direction as well. Yeah. I was a little concerned with the first two words of where David was going when it was up your, but then it was up your value creation. So, uh, so I think we, we went in the right direction. So we got those reverse direction. Words. Can you say that? <laughs> I'm reminded of the Fonz and Happy Days, up your nose with a rubber hose. So there you go. I'm, I'm, da- I'm aging myself. Kevin has yeah. no idea. What? Who what? Are, what? are you kidding me? The, everybody knows the, the Fonz who lives, in a, who lives in a bathroom. Hey, that, that's where the whole expression <laughs> jump the shark came from. That's right. That's right. Look it up. So we got determine your determine your direction, up your value creation. And then Kevin, what's the, what's the third one? This is one of my personal favorites because I feel like it was a big key for me. And it was accelerate your preparation. And so we talked about this on a, on a episode maybe two years ago about creating a professional development plan. And it's this idea of you can structure how you, how you get your preparation in four key areas. And that is relationships, education, practice, and self-awareness. Now that acronym happens to just spell reps. So get reps. Just remember that. But relationships, education, practice, and self-awareness. And you saying to yourself, that's something that I can completely control. If I'm deepening my education, my subject matter expertise, am I practicing to get really proficient at the things I say I do? Am I becoming a, a, a student of myself so that I understand how I operate? And am I, am I strengthening my connections with others? And here's the best part about that. When you're doing the relationship side, you're also strengthening soft skills with other people. Um, and so, and because that's soft skills are permeating this entire list, right? I, I heard a, a sales trainer, Colleen Stanley, recently say empathy is a thinking skill 
before it's an external skill, right? Like your ability to think like someone feels. But before everybody knows you have empathy, you just have to work on it inside of your head. And I think it's a self-awareness connects to that. So how are you building and making decisions on what you're going to do in those four areas to accelerate your preparation? And I think what Dave said a moment ago about, about creation, personality assessments can be a big help to you just knowing a bit of more about yourself and the natural gifts, right? Strengths Finder, uh, Colby, they tell you things you're good at, not just things you need to improve upon. So you can actually know how you create value if you don't know it today. Hey, Kev, can I build on that? Um, on occasion, I've been known to be blunt. And one of the things I might say if, I'm, if I happen to be in that mode is, hey, if you show up next week, the same person you are this week, uh, you just feel a little bit behind. Uh, keep that up and things aren't going to work out so well. So because think about what's changing, especially this year, everything, right? So um, you have to figure out how do you evolve? You cannot get stuck. You can't be staying in the same place. And so to your point about accelerating preparation, uh, you ought to be strategic about what, what you want to change, how you want to prepare, and what way do you want to grow uh, but don't get stuck. You'll render yourself irrelevant at some point in time. Yeah. In fact, in, t- in terms of David being blunt, he's been sometimes known to say up your. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I will say this. In terms of up your value creation, which is number two, accelerate your preparation. I think one of the questions we should ask ourselves is how can the people that I'm about to go into this meeting or on our, on our team, how can they know that I'm prepared? Because one of the things I think when we show value to people that we value them is when we show up prepared. And so I think we should never show up uh, to a meeting without, if you're leading the meeting, without some type of an agenda that says you've thought through how we're going to leverage this time. And, you know, there, there might be uh, examples of uh, you can over-prepare. And I've, I've known to do that in terms of over-preparing a message and you can overcook it. That's really rare. Uh, and when you accelerate your preparation, you you certainly value the people that you're that you're serving and you're working with for sure. And I think you can focus on the moment to a greater degree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I would say this: focus is an accelerant, all by itself, right? The idea of strategically choosing, like acceleration, doesn't necessarily mean, hey, Kevin, I've added four or five hours a week to my how I prepare and how I. Do. You may not have the time for that, but that's why direction matters. What are you preparing to do? When you're clear on that, it starts to weed away all the extra stuff that just will be a good to do versus a must do for preparation. You know, one of the uh, one of our team members at Gwinnett Church, which she's one of the best leaders I've ever been around, Lauren Espy, she's a, a noticer. She notices things. And so I know that when I go into a meeting with Lauren, she can tell whether I'm prepared or not. And that's always been able to keep me on my toes. So I would just know going in, you're going to be with people that there, there are some that are going to notice things more than others. But again, um, when you accelerate your preparation, you, you up your value creation and it does help determine your direction. Um, so that's the first three keys, guys, in terms of positioning yourself for success at work. David, let's talk about number four. Yeah. And I would say four is leverage collaboration. And to set it up, I'll say this. Here we are. We're right in the midst of a political season, uh, really sort of, um, we're very polarized here in the U.S. There's so much divide and a lot of rancor, a lot of uh, finger pointing and name calling. And it, it points out the value of somebody that knows how to rise above that. I say someone that can work across party lines and find positions, platforms, get people to work together 
And I think that's what collaborators can do in organizations. If you can go beyond just your own point of view, elevate up, even beyond the point of view of maybe your team, and think at an organizational level and have the ability to unify people, not divide people, I think that creates enormous value. It sets you up for success, and it enables the organization to do things at a, that I think are more meaningful. I think some of the most important things we do don't happen in, in individual silos. They happen at a higher level, but people have to be able to play at a higher level. If you're going to do that, you've got to work on, on, on collaboration. So you guys have worked with a lot of great collaborators. So could you give us an example of maybe someone and, and what they did to work across party lines like that? Yeah, I think, first of all, they come in and they listen really well. And Shane has taught us a lot about listening. Shane, as you may have heard if you've listened to the podcast, had a listening coach for a season and actually sat down with him and and got to meet his listening coach at one point. And he taught him uh, how to listen. Because Shane will tell you, he he sells. Man, he sells hard. Uh, But And he had to sort of slow his roll down a little bit and start to listen a little bit more and really mine for – what matters to the other party. Um, We've talked about emotional intelligence and how important that is to understand where other people are coming from. How do you ultimately find solutions that enable everybody to to win instead of turning conversations or negotiations into win-lose propositions? So it takes patience. It takes an open mind. It takes, honestly, it takes a sense of security that your um, your worth may not be wrapped up in the in the immediate outcome, you see, you have to kind of play a longer game. But if you can get there, I think you can do bigger things. It's sort of the chess, not checkers approach to interaction with others. Right, Kevin. Any uh, collaborative examples or collaborators you've worked with? For sure. You know, I, I think that uh, I've worked with organizations that were fairly flat, and I worked with some that had hierarchy structure for sure. And one big thing I think about in particular was just someone who took the time to know everybody that they're working with. They say, you know what? I'm going to be working with all the people. I'm going to make sure I, as the person collaborating, not just about everybody's interest, but I know everyone's skills and value. And I can actually make the, I can actually do my part to call out moments when people don't recognize this person could be contributing a lot in this area. And they, but almost became like this. Uh, I would say this person who actually had done a better job knowing everybody in the team better than everybody else knew themselves. It was ironic and they did a really good job of that. And I think another thing is they come in saying, hey, I'm going to cast a vision across the entire team of why we're all doing this. So this particular project in my mind right now was it was an organizational project. It was not for a particular department. There were just lots of departments involved. And I think that it's very easy for everybody when those projects come up and work, even if you enjoy the project, even if you know it's a big deal, those projects still typically exist with all of your core responsibilities still being need, need to be managed. And so those projects, even with how fun it is, you can sometimes feel like it's pulling you away from the job you're being evaluated on. And so I think that person just did a really good job making sure we all knew, hey, here's why we're here. Here's why you've chosen me at the table. Here's how, we're, and, and, they, and, and by them reminding you of that all the time, they did a great job of just saying, hey, in this context, in this moment, we are the exact same team. They're only, we only have one goal, one interest. And I know that's hard because once again, everybody showed up with their own responsibilities to be managed. And I thought that was a really amazing thing to see in real time. 
Jeff, I got one example that I may mention. If you're a fan of the NBA in this era when sports has been turned upside down, there's so many things. Obviously, uh, the coronavirus has been a huge challenge, but we're right in the midst of a lot of, of, of social unrest centered around racial injustice. And the NBA has tried to figure out, well, how in the world do we go back to playing basketball? And I think about the commissioner. Uh, I think it's Adam Silver. Uh, is his name. And he's had so many factors and so many different parties that he's had to work with. You've got an ownership point of view. You've got a player point of view. You've got uh, the the media. Uh, they've got a perspective. You've got health officials. And for him to listen and try to be sensitive to everyone's point of view and yet come up with a solution, and in th- this case, it's sort of what they call the bubble down in Orlando. I'm not saying it's perfect. But in a very challenging environment, it seems as though they have had success. And so that, that's a, a, maybe a current example that's still playing out, quite honestly. Yeah, that is a great example. In terms of collaboration, it, it, and Kevin, you mentioned this as well, once you know yourself better in your blind spots, it allows you to collaborate with people that um, can help you in your blind spots. I, I, there's a book out called Principles by Ray Dalio, and it's a 600-page book. I, I didn't make it through, I'll be honest with you. I'm in the same boat. I, well, here's what happened. Here's what happened, Dave. I went to Barnes & Noble the other night because I'm still trying to keep Barnes & Noble in business. And I saw a principles book by Ray Dalio. It was a kid's book. So I bought it. And I mean, I'm loving it. I'm loving the kid's <laughs> version of this. All right. But here's why I say this. That's what, what I need. It, I need the coloring book uh, <laughs> version of everything. Yeah. But it's so great. I mean, it's so well done. But in that, he's talking about how... He had this huge failure early on because he didn't really collaborate. He went all in on a market decision that was wrong. And then he learned from his blind spots and began to collaborate more and more and more. And they actually, they, they actually film their meets, any staff meetings right now to look for their blind spots to see how they can better collaborate. So I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. One more example, and that's Jeff Henderson. He won't say this because I, I don't think, but like truthfully, one of the things I've actually written down in my journal about Jeff is the fact that his self-awareness is so high, you can see him when when his, when his when he knows he's the best person on the team to do something, it's very he's like, he'll claim it. And the minute he knows, hey, this is this is outside of the spot where I'm gonna add the most value, I'm I'm not going to let the team put me in a situation where I'm not able to add the most value. It's truly, I mean, honestly, it, it challenges me. I'm like, man, Jeff knows himself. He knows he's and, and he, no statement, but he's like, hey, this is the time to lead to the team. I'm going to do it. This is where I have the value, and I know the value I add. And now I've seen Jeff, obviously with Mentor, but also in other ventures he's been a part of. I'm like, man, Jeff Jeff is the embodiment of Jim Collins' hedgehog concept. Like, Jeff shows up. I'm going to do the thing I know I do really, really well. You're going to see that value over and over and over again because I know myself, and that's what it is. And I can become the best of the world at that. And I said, he wouldn't say that out loud, but I'll say it for him in front of everybody because it's, it's just really true. So it challenged me to say, that's the power of awareness though, right? It trickles down into all the other pieces, even in collaboration to make it stronger. So these tips really do build upon themselves, which I think is why they're so worth doing. I say up your inner Jeff, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And go buy kids books. Yeah. But, uh, but th- thank you for that, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's it. true. Well, let's, let's, let's stay with you, Kevin, talk about number five. Sure. So this one is, I mean, obviously more my wheelhouse is about influencing perception and influence your perception is, is what I want you to, to do. And, and here's the reality. 
a lot of people say if you just work hard enough, eventually your time will come. And I'll be transparent. That that reminds me a lot of the field of dreams, right? If you build it, they will come. That is not true. And 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 I, and I think that for people, it, it hurts them at some point, and they don't know that. And I know it, you know you're, you don't want to be so politically minded or so uh, focused on the appearances of things that you're not doing the real work. And I hope you hear that. That's not what we're saying here. But you do have to influence your perception. We all have someone who looks at a certain way. We do judge books by their cover. It's a reality of society. And he's saying you can't control someone else's opinion of you, even if they even notice you. As Jeff said earlier, everybody's not a noticer. And I think that, and I think that is the insight. Everybody's not a noticer. And so you can't just sit around and say, I hope you notice me. I hope you notice me. No, there's a way to do that respectfully to put yourself on somebody's radar. Here's some examples. When your boss brings you for your one-on-one meeting and they say, how's everything going? Great. I'm sorry. That's not going to, that's not going to cut it. Just saying great is not going to do. I don't care if everything's fantastic. You're going to say, Hey, last week we did this. Here's how that performed. We're feeling great about this because this, this, this has happened. Oh, just by expanding on the store beyond saying things are going great. I've actually given my, my leader an opportunity to hear the challenge I faced how I solved it and the results that builds their confidence in me because they heard what actually happened. So I didn't just say no problems here, boss. Once again, I'm happy things are okay, but I don't have the ability to build trust in you. because I don't know what's actually going on in your world. Same thing of, Hey, I have a decision coming up. Here's what I'm thinking about doing any other perspective you want to give me. Oh, okay. So now, so now let me into your decision-making process. I get to weigh in on that idea. And guess what happens now when you make that decision, that we came to together in that meeting, I'm more interested in how it went down. Why? Because I'm invested in the in the decision and the outcome because it helped you shape that decision. And so there are small things you can do. Um, if you have a weekly report, make sure you send it. If you don't have a weekly report, create a weekly report for your leader and send it to them anyway because that's a chance to communicate success just as much as challenges. If you only call your leader when things are going wrong, even if it's once a year, that, that's the only interaction they have with you that is what they see. And I think that is the main thing I say here. And the last thing here, there's science behind this, right? There's science. The human brain is designed to categorize information. That's what it does. It's an organizing machine for us. So at the end of the day, they want to associate you with a problem you can solve for them. They want to know when to call upon you. Now, upping your value creation does that because I see the things you can do. Upping preparation does that. But I have to know that's the value you can provide so that I can know to call upon you. So please influence your perception because that is going to be one of the final pieces that's required to position yourself for success. And that takes us to our final one. Let me give you a quick recap, though, of the first five in terms of positioning yourself for success at work. Kevin talked about determine your direction. David talked about up your value creation. Kevin talked about accelerate your preparation David introduced leverage collaboration, and then Kevin just talked about influence your perception. And uh, David, walk us through number six. Yeah, six is maybe even a corollary to number five that Kevin just shared, influence your perception. But I might say, but obsess less about your position. In other words, don't be so obsessed about where you are and what's next. And am I getting, you know, everything I'm supposed to be getting right now? Uh, If you do, I think it actually undermines your performance. I think if you get caught up in constantly striving, that actually becomes toxic. And and instead, you you focus on the surface and not 
uh, what runs through you. It's a little bit like you go to the gym and you see the person that doesn't seem to be actually working out a lot, but they do a lot of posing and uh, taking uh, pictures for Instagram to at least document they were at the gym. They're grunting. Were they really, yeah, were they, yeah, they didn't really do anything, but they, got, they documented that they were there. Uh, don't be that person. You want to make sure it's, it's back to some of the things we've already talked about. If you'll pour yourself into value creation, you won't have to obsess about it. Now, that doesn't mean all the other things we've said aren't true. It's just a caution. Don't go over the line and get into staging, peacocking, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. Remember the book, Jeff, you've talked to us about. You referenced it in your own book, Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy. That's right. Check your motivation. Make sure you still care as much about your colleagues and the organization as you care about yourself and you want to serve them. And I would tell you at any particular point in time, if we took a snapshot of any organization, there will be inequities. It's just it's impossible to get it perfectly balanced. So you want to be strategic. You want to be smart. You want to do the things, as we said, position yourself for success. But if you're not uh, getting everything you think you do right now, don't let that become your obsession. That's that's my challenge. That reminds me, we had a speaker at our staff meeting yesterday from Perth, Australia, Sadera Udalagama. She's fantastic. And she was talking about that your destiny is determined more by your disposition than your destination. Hmm. And your disposition is going to really move you. So if your disposition is being a striver and you're obsessing about where you are, that's your disposition. And in some ways, uh, as you said, David, that's ego. And our mutual friend, John Woodall, says that, you know, the Lord resists the proud and so do we. And so I think there's something about resisting pride that you, when you obsess less about your position and obsess more about others, people are drawn to that. Yeah, Jeff, I've, I've been in talent review meetings where we might identify someone that just seems to be over the top obsessed with it. And it really then just starts to work against them. Yeah, I was going to say, and the thing about obsession, what I love about that word, is obsession is a mental thing, right? It, you, can, you can put on every facade externally and still be obsessing about the wrong thing because mentally you're preoccupied. And to, and to David's point, it robs you too. It robs you of the enjoyment of, of all of this. It, or, you, know, you, don't get to have, you don't get to have fun preparing. You don't get to have fun collaborating. You don't get to enjoy sharing the wins. You don't get to enjoy adding value. You don't even get to enjoy the dreaming about setting your direction because you're obsessed only about the position and it's, lim- it's limiting you. But once again, mentally, you can't do the other five things well if you're focused only on position because that's a game of manipulation as opposed to one of truly transformation. And I think that's a big part of it. That's great. So, Kevin, why don't you wrap up by just kind of walking us through these uh, these six keys that we've been talking about in terms of positioning ourselves for success at work. Absolutely. So we want to make sure we determine our direction. We need to up our value creation. Then we can accelerate our preparation, right? And so, and then when that happens, you're going to have opportunities to leverage collaboration. And from there, once you've been that spot, you can start to influence your perception. Influence your perception, but make sure you do not obsess over your position. And I think that is truly how you position yourself for success. Um, And P.S., everybody's always working on these things. There is no level of any leader that has to put these six to the side. 
And there are times when you might have to be focused on more than one or the other, depending on where you are mentally. But this is for every leader for all time, truly, I believe so. That's great. And David, to wrap up, I want to. one of the things we're talking about is really investing in yourself for the future and not having this self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, this is such a hard, difficult world that nobody can have success at work. If that's the way we think, then that's the self-fulfilling prophecy. You talked about a while back uh, that when you guys went up to Harvard and you studied the recession back in 2008, there was, they noticed that there were some companies that really th- came out of that and th- were thriving, even despite that. And part of that was how they invested in, in their, their company. But I think there's a co- correlation here between how those organizations invested in their companies and how we can invest in ourselves by applying these six principles. Can you walk us through that real quick and then we'll close up? Yeah, what we learned is the organizations that come out of significant crises, think the recession, think 9-11, think now this, this, this whole 2020 COVID crisis we're going through, those that did the best, they tightened up really everywhere they had to. It might be preserve cash. It might be limit your focus on fewer things during this season. So there was that's kind of the defensive side of the equation. But then they would be very strategic and have targeted growth investments. So in light of what we're going through, where do I want to shift energy and resources to set me up for what's to come? If you only did one or the other, you either A, may not make it out of the crisis alive as an organization, or you may limp out. And so you needed that combination in order to come out and and thrive. And so I think my dismount, Jeff, would be if you do these things and you just kind of keep hammering away at it, keep chipping away at it. Sometimes I I use the word, you just got to keep grinding a little bit. Yeah, It it may not instantaneously uh, bear fruit, but I think in due course it will if you just hang in there. That's great. Thanks for doing that. I know I threw you a little curveball there without prepping you. The other thing as a bonus is if you're working out with Dave Farmer, do not take a picture of yourself and post it on Instagram. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we got to be real people. Hey, just, not, just not till you're, not till you're done and you've really done something. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, our hope today, and this is for every executive Vines podcast is that you would find this valuable because we feel like the work that you're doing, the career that you have, what you're doing is really, really important. If we can help you get a little bit better each day, then that's a big value add. To us. So Kevin, David, well, I know we're missing Shane, not sure where he is, but uh, grateful for you guys. And again, these six keys, positioning yourself for success at work, it's just part of what we want to continue to provide you here with Executive Minds Podcast. So Shane left a message saying he was unable to join. He was busy positioning himself for success at work. <laughs> that's right. That's right. As opposed to us. So uh, Kevin, any final words from you? No, nothing more, nothing more than subscribe because we want to keep giving you value like this and we'd love to make sure we're a part how you accelerate your preparation in this season. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time at the Executive Minds Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Executive Minds Podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. For more show notes and helpful resources, visit executiveminds.co. That's executiveminds.co.